race was on. People of great wealth understood the risk that they were taking, but the despotism and tyranny had reached such a level that men's livelihood was being taken from them. Their lives were being ruined. King George and his monarchy had to be cast down as a new constitutional republic was being put in place. Something of this nature had never been seen before in the history of nations. A government formed by the people for the people. Would it stand? Could it endure? Was it worth fighting for and losing all? Indeed, it was. But time has passed and the nation has fallen into the hands of those who do not recognize the intentions and principles of the Founding Fathers. A new idea has been incorporated. Our president, today, likes to call it democracy, something that was vehemently rejected early on. Earlier, it was called progressivism and was tightly embraced by Western Europe intellectuals and soon thereafter by the American elite. Today, it's called socialism. It had been polished and reshaped, redefined, but the smell and the effects are the same as they have been since its inception. It is followed constantly by chaos, inflation, restrictions, and regulations. These are being forced upon the American people in ways that many are unaware of, while the elite eat their cake. The rich are becoming incredibly richer, and the middle class is disappearing. The poor, well, they're being forced into the arms of the state. This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. I want to invite you to continue following us as we're discussing various topics related to the condition of our nation today. We will be considering the subject, How to Eat an Elephant, watching the progressive win the battle for the Hope you can spend a bit Now we're picking up where we left off in our last podcast. Uh, we were talking about Sir Walter Raleigh as he attempted to establish certain colonies in America, but they failed in both attempts, and it was Raleigh that applied the name Virginia in honor of the Queen to this portion of the United States, the Virginia colony. It was under the rule of King James I that the effort received an economic and the nation or the colony began to grow. Another effort was made by a group of businessmen that organized what was called the Virginia Company. The Virginia Company started its goals for establishing the colony in its charter, known as the Charter of 1606, which you can find on the internet in this business. It was stated as an important goal for the company, the propagating of the Christian religion to such people as yet live in darkness and miserable ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. This declares clearly that establishing a, a Christian witness to Native Americans was one of the initial and primary reasons for establishing Jamestown, England's first permanent American colony. So if you want to have debates about the Christian influence in America, go back to the origins and study the facts, not the revised opinions. Time passed, and the country began to grow. People were coming from all over the Western world. And ideas were changing and developing, and the leaders began to see areas that needed to be addressed. In the mid-1700s, good old King George began exerting inordinate demands upon the people in the colonies. It was becoming a very wealthy place and a source of tremendous income for England. And taxation was growing as England saw a new source of funds that they could call upon on this side of the ocean. Now, this rankled the business and the landowners, the businessmen, the merchants, to the extent that they made appeals to the king to get no response. So they were being ignored in their efforts to repeal their concerns. We've read about taxation without representation. 
We've read about the Boston Tea Party and the ensuing Revolutionary War. The colonies broke free from England and were forced to organize. The first agreement produced as a governing document was called the Lee Resolution, a handwritten resolution of independence and agreed upon on July 2, 1776. Two days later, the Declaration of Independence was organized and signed. Now, here's a little side note that I find interesting. The Lee Resolution was written by Richard Henry Lee. Richard Henry Lee was the first cousin, twice removed, to Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general. Now, this should serve to give an understanding to the incredible weight that Robert E. Lee felt in arriving at his decision to fight with the Confederates. He was a direct descendant of a signatory to the Declaration of Independence, and the one who wrote the first Declaration of Independence, known as the Lee Resolution, which served to found the original 13 colonies. So Robert E. Lee was a man of tremendous character, and if you read his histories and autobiographies, you'll see what kind of man he truly was. This Lee Resolution resolved that the 13 colonies, referred to as the United Colonies, were free and independent states and separate from the British Empire. Now, this served to create the United States of America. And two days later, as mentioned, the Declaration of Independence was officially announced on July 4th, 1776, which is soon to be upon us. Following the Revolutionary War, the national leaders agreed upon what was called Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. Now, this served as the nation's first framework of government, and it was debated by the Second Continental Congress in Philadelphia and finalized in 1777. It came into force on March 1, 1781, after all 13 colonies agreed to this document, and they agreed that it would be the guiding principle of the United States. The Articles of Confederation established power of central government, and it gave very limited powers to that central government. It also established a league of friendship, so to speak, known as Perpetual Union, stating that the states would act cordially toward one another, and it gave certain guidelines as how they would cooperate with one another. As the nation began to grow and expand, it was easily seen that the Articles of Confederation just weren't going to work. It's far too weak to govern, and it was apparent. Trade issues arose between the states. Assembling state delegates to discuss issues was a real challenge. Raising money for funds needed and regulating interstate commerce, these were all major problems that arose. A tremendous history that is well worth considering is the background of Shays' Rebellion. To understand the where and why of these things is, is critical to understanding the changes that were coming about in America. Shays' Rebellion is a story that 99% of Americans do not know about, and they certainly are not taught these things in public school, I can assure you that. This situation awakened the leaders of America at that time who were struggling to keep the nation whole, and it awakened them to the dire need for a new government to be formed. The economy of the nation was falling into familiar problems. A deep recession was setting in. The rich were in control, and the farmers were indebted to them. The merchants were clamoring for the money that they were owed as the people were being bombarded with taxes and were becoming overwhelmed, and they didn't have the money to pay the merchants. Greed was a problem, always is and always will be, but the farmers truly needed funds to seed their crops, to feed the animals, buy the wagons, build barns, and raise families. And the merchants were aiming at a profit and were experiencing some demands in taxation. So they were under almost the same gun, but they were dealing from a profit side in a different way. So in order to pass along the prices and the cost, they simply increased the, the price of the wares and they demanded payment. When the payments were not paid, they confiscated property. In many cases, 
They took all the farmers had. They would take their land and their house and their wagons, horses, cows. And it was causing a lot, a lot of problems. Taxation was destroying the base of America. The economy was crumbling. Everybody was up in arms, literally. The rural citizens made every effort to correspond with those in charge, with the leadership in Massachusetts, where Shays Rebellion took place in Massachusetts. And the people of Massachusetts made attempts to communicate with the governor and the people in charge, but they were being ignored. There was a problem. The rural people were trying to use legislative process to gain relief, but it wasn't working. The merchants were pretty much ensconced in power, meaning they had the influence in the government. Why? Because they had the money. It's always the same and has been throughout history. Is Those who have the gold make the rules, right? Governor James Bowden uh, instituted heavier tax burdens on the people, and then in order to help the merchants, he began to enforce a more strident method of tax collection. The governor prior to Bowden was trying to help out the debtors and was forgiving their debts. So it was a real problem. How do you make this thing work? The issue was taxation and the overreach of the government. The state was falling back into old methods of royalty. It was all they had known. So this was they were falling back on familiar trails. And the people, well, they're suffering. They'd given all in the war, and now here they are suffering under the same thing they fought against. The burden the government was placing on the people was far heavier than they could bear, and this was noted by John Adams. The rebellion was moving towards a civil war within the state of Massachusetts, and it was escalating rapidly. It was no easily reconciled situation. I mean, people were literally up in arms. Merchants were demanding money, and that was a fair demand. They were owed money. They lend money. They give credit for goods sold, expecting a profit. Their agents abroad, seeing the financial system that was developing, began to refuse to give them credit and demanded cash up front before they would ship any goods from Europe. So the merchants had no choice but to apply this same principle to the buyers of goods out of their hard goods stores. So now the people were having to pay cash they didn't have for the required things they needed. Well, things were getting hard. Tempers were rising. The government was continually demanding more money. Taxes were rising and debt was growing and the process of debt collection was getting a little bit carried away. It was exciting a great number of people. Political corruption was evident and cronyism that favored the wealthy dominated the politics of Massachusetts. The laws established under the Article Confederation were inadequate and they provided very little help to protect the individual farmers. They were proving to be beneficial for the merchants, for particular groups of individuals, the educated elite and those in power. The idea of independent liberty and freedom for the individual, however, was being overlooked. The principles were not being applied to those that were not in particular groups. This is the key to the Founding Fathers' argument. We want individual liberty for you to voice your opinion and to seek out peace and prosperity for yourself, not for a group. This was the whole key to the Constitution, to the Republic. There was a glaring problem within the democratic conception of republicanism. This was it. The haves would always have, and they would band together, and with the power they garnered as a group, they would rule over the people, and they would establish the rules of the game. You pay to play. If you couldn't pay, you couldn't play. The have-nots were subject to the merchants due to the monies owed. These merchants would band together and elect their own leaders. So the people that were sitting in power were favoring the merchants. 
then you would have taxation and inordinate demands upon the people. So the weight that was placed on the backs of the people was crushing them. Democracy was not working, and it was seriously opposed in the early colonies. Freedom was seen if you belonged to a group. Freedom was for a few, not for all. Those in power were able to accumulate more power, as we mentioned, through cronyism and through corruption. There were no checks and balances in place in order to constrain them. There was nothing in written form that established the rules. Rules cannot go by hearsay and opinion. If you can look at them, touch them, read them, they're fixed laws that won't change. They're static in a document. But these laws were not put forth in writing in order to protect the individuals. So the problems were obvious. What was being established was a government that favored majority rule, a democracy. Today you have Joe Biden standing and arguing on behalf of democracy. Today you have various political men who talk about the need to protect our democracy. I am fully opposed to this idea. We are not a democracy. The United States of America was not established under a democratic rule. This was seen clearly as a faulty model that was fully open to what was occurring within the colonies. It was open to corruption, and it was open to cronyism, and it was open to oppressing the masses. The established government being led by the Articles of Confederation simply weren't viable. They weren't working. The idea of a democracy was clear. It won't work. It would be bring people full circle back to a monarchy. And this is a summary, I know, but it's a very serious subject. Shay's Rebellion, if you examine it, gives a tremendous example of where the Democratic Republic leads a people and a nation. It exposed the causes of the deep divide that had crept in among us. And these same divisions are more than blatant today and easily seen. The model of majority rule has never worked and will never work. As a nation, we in the United States have forgotten all about this, and it hasn't been done by accident. Through the methods of education, um, in the public education, through the method and the strong arm of governmental institutions, these ideas have been pushed aside and ignored. They've been pressed down. And the people who support these ideas have been silenced. And we, the people, have grown lax in establishing our watchmen on the wall. We are voting in people who support and uphold dem democracy. And thus we have a cronyism that is incredible. We have a, the deep state. We have a bureaucracy that is running the nation that never has been voted into power. We have people who are making the rules according to certain groups. Our independence has been taken from us. The weakness of such a system is obvious. Our educational system has corrupted the minds of the majority. John Dewey was very, very instrumental in doing this as was Roosevelt and Wilson and all these other guys. They all contributed to the downfall of the American Constitutional Republic. It was Samuel Clemens who said, It's very easy to deceive a man. It's almost impossible, once he's been deceived, to convince him that he has been deceived. I've seen this in churches. I've seen this in schools. I've seen this in corporate America. And I'm seeing it now in open display in television, media, radio, print. This is where we stand as a nation. We have been led astray, and we've bitten off into something that is not true. The fact is that freedom has been stripped from our understanding, and it has been redefined systematically over a period of 100 years. Liberty was never meant to come with shackles for the individual. 
the government established under the United States Constitution was never intended to bind or constrict the voice of the people, the will or desire of the people, but to provide for the people, for the individual, freedom to be and to say and to do without restraint whatever they wish to do within the law which is defined and agreed upon in the Constitution. Thus, we're discussing this topic. Do we have a constitutional republic? Why is that so important to know? And I would back up and say this. God addressed the issue of the knowledge of his people being somewhat vacuous and empty. And he said, my people perish for lack of knowledge because they've rejected knowledge. Would you be willing to study these things? Would you be willing to look in and grow in your knowledge and understanding of these principles? As a nation, this is critical. We're reaching a place in history where things are soon to change. If it's God's design, I don't know what you're going to do to stop it, but to simply stand by with your hands down by your side and say there's nothing you can do is a lie. Study to show yourself approved and stand. At Vintage Broadcasting, we appreciate your participation with us in listening to our podcast. We extend our thanks and gratitude to you and hope that these episodes are proving to be beneficial in helping you understand how we have arrived to where we find ourselves today as a nation. My name is Frank Koss, and I want to personally invite you to join us again as we continue our series entitled, How to Eat an Elephant, Losing Our Constitutional Republic, One Piece at a Time.